The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. I want to start today with a fish out of water story. And I do not mean a metaphorical fish or metaphorical water. I mean this absolutely, literally true. It was the summer, as best I can remember, of 1976. So the bicentennial summer, based on where I remember we were living at the time in Alabama, Pennsylvania. I was six years old. Friends and I were walking down the street. I can still remember the exact street. I'll pass it next time I go to see my dad, who still is in Allentown. College Heights Boulevard. And one of us noticed something strange and unexpected down through a sewer grate. We saw a fish. A dead fish. Now, because I was six years old, and it was over four decades ago, and because this is a fish tale, the fish I'm going to tell you about was this large. <laughs> but it was a fish. It was an unexpected dead fish. And something about it, my friends and I found so compelling that we thought we had to rescue this dead fish from the sewer grate. And so through the slats, through the grates, we put our thin little arms down, and we couldn't quite reach it. But this became a quest, an epic quest. And so one of us found a a, a stick, long pointy stick, and we thought maybe we could spear this fish. And what we wanted to do with this fish, we had no idea. And we could have brought it home and said, you know, hey, Ma, there's sewer fish for dinner. Isn't this great? Look, I brought... No idea we wanted to do with it, but we just decided we had to get this fish. And so then when the stick didn't work, we all... Went back to our separate homes, I think there were three of us there, and we found all the fishing poles that we could. (laughs) And we dropped the fishing poles, the lines, down into the sewer grate, thinking that somehow the fish would would magically reanimate, because this was some kind of bait we were offering, even though there was no actual bait beyond the hook. Or maybe we could guide it into the fish's mouth. And we spent the whole rest of the afternoon trying to get the dead fish onto the hook so we could reel it up. We were not successful. Now, here's the thing. This fish tail ends without getting the fish. But it is, as I remember it, one of the most happy, most thrilling, most enjoyable memories of my childhood. A dead fish in the sewer off of College Heights Boulevard in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I knew someone would say that. I didn't really have a rough childhood. But if you would have been there, you would have been thrilled too. It was a grand adventure that none of us expected. And though it didn't have the outcome we wanted, that did not matter one bit. I remember this story when I was recently reading some studies about something that is actually fairly uh, troubling in our world right now and something that is actually becoming worse, apparently, not better. And that is a mental health crisis amongst the children in this country. Increasingly high rates of mood disorders, anxiety, depression, self-harm, At times, attempts at taking one's own life, and sometimes children completing suicide. 
I know this hits very close to home for some of you, whether within your family or within your network or within your schools. This is heartbreaking. And every time this makes the news, especially when it feels particularly devastating, there are always these really well-intentioned, really earnest calls for anti-stigma campaigns and more resources for mental health within our schools. I completely agree with that, especially as a mental health professional. And yet, I think it misses the mark because I think it's actually something much closer to us. It's the water we swim in. It's the air we breathe in this culture. So one of these articles I was reading about the mental health crisis, which is not just for children, it's all of us, all throughout this society, identified one thing that they backed up with some really good research. This wasn't just a theory. That one of the things contributing to this explosion of diagnoses of mental health disorders amongst children is that we are a society so dedicated to winning or losing one could say domination or being dominated, competitiveness, achievements, goal orientation. And as a result, the person writing this article said one thing has really gone missing from the lives of so many children. Play. Simply the opportunity to play. To turn, for example, a dead fish in a sewer grate off College Heights Boulevard into a grand adventure. I mean, there's actually cuts in services, the things that we might call play within schools, recess or the creative stuff, which we think maybe won't make kids as prepared to compete in the global economy. We're going to hear that a lot over the next year, that phrase. I roll, yes. And there is really something being lost. The natural inquisitiveness, the unscheduled, unbounded adventure that comes with the experience to play for play's sake. But of course, this isn't a problem really of children. It's a problem of us, of adults. We're the ones who inherited this system. We're the ones who perpetuate this system, even if we don't like it. It's tough to know where to start. Some of us are trying to make the changes we absolutely can in our own families or through advocacy, and it's all so worthwhile. And I think the truth is, for many of us, when we stop and we look at our own lives, maybe it's individually true for each of you, but maybe... We don't prioritize play for ourselves. (laughs) Adventure for the sake of adventure, creativity for the sake of creativity, not something that's going to look good on a resume, which I have been so attuned to myself for the last few years of my life. I will own this one. I will cop to it completely. But how often do we as adults just step back and ask ourselves, when was the last time I played? 
in some ways, especially according to a lot of developmental theorists of how people develop and grow, play is the most serious thing about us as human beings and the most necessary if we really want to grow into the fullness of our being. Play is something I have rediscovered, especially because of and through my ministry here at Wellsprings. Now, some of you know I'm going through some professional shifts to term it lightly. And so I don't share my story as much as I used to in many ways, as publicly as I used to. But I'm still a person in long-term recovery from a substance use disorder. And I'm still a person who lives with a number of mental health disorders, anxiety and depression among them. That has not gone away for me. What I have learned how to do is to hold the parts of my own mind that sometimes work against my own mind as lightly as I can. And do that through an awful lot of self-compassion and mindfulness and other acceptance-based practices. And I do it by remembering the six-year-old I was. The necessity of play for my own well-being. I need that if I want to be well. I actually think we all need that if we want to be well. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you might know that I regularly like to integrate a sense of playfulness into my ministry. Those of you who have been on Realm before, our online community, might know this person. (laughs) That is my profile picture. It arose like this. As we were putting Realm together, Reverend Lee and I were talking through text one day, as we often do, and she said, I dare you to put Left Shark as your profile picture. And I said, wait 10 seconds, I'm going to do it right now. (laughs) Truth is, I love Left Shark. As a Giants fan who has not had much to root for, this is the best thing from the last few Super Bowls for me. (laughs) That off-target, doing-their-own-thing shark that is exuberant and joyful and messy and dances to their own beat. And the truth is, Within my ministry, I have actually, I was reviewing this this last week, made play a very regular part of who I am here. Bubbles dating back to our first Welcome Back Sunday in 2007. Super Bowls that we handed out for a message series on resilience a number of years ago. Play-Doh, which I use to encourage all of us, especially those of us who are grown to a certain age, to remember that before we became the hardened pottery, the form of our lives, we were always clay. And that we can always return to that flexibility and that pliability and that vulnerability if we wish. And then finally, one of our more recent heroes, Forky. The star of Toy Story, who believes he is garbage, but is not. He's just becoming something he hasn't been already. I believe in my heart that play is a kind of grace. When I say grace, I don't really mean anything metaphysical. I just mean grace is that thing that isn't necessary within our lives, and yet it makes all the difference. This current series about entertaining angels unawares, that line from the Christian scriptures, 
I think it points at what playfulness is all about. The sense of belonging and coming online within our souls and having a creative energy at the heart of who we are. My first message in this series a number of weeks ago, I said, to, for me, who doesn't really believe in angels as beings, but firmly, deeply believes in the angelic, I said, from my perspective, the angelic is anything that awakens our capacity to feel beloved and to love and to feel connected. That is my experience of playfulness. Playfulness also reminds us that sometimes in this life, it is a lot less about what happens to us or what is happening. And it's more about how it happens to us, how we experience it. Some of you might have seen this story a number of weeks or months ago. This is a hospital in Modesto, California. And there was a nurse there, is a nurse there, Kimberly Martinez, who recognized that there was a particularly acute stress point, a particular point of the hospital in which there was a lot of suffering and a lot of anxiety and a lot of tears. And it was that moment when children left their parents or their guardians to go into the surgical room. I mean, some of you know what that experience is like for yourself, and you know what it's like for your children. That is a stressful place to be. And so Nurse Martinez, what she discovered is that, yeah, it's stressful, but it didn't need to be awful. And so what she developed is this opportunity. For kids to have themselves remotely driven to the OR or to drive themselves to the OR. And what they are finding is that it is completely shifting that experience. They're still facing all the same uncertainty. They're still facing all the same fears. Some of these are serious surgeries. We're talking pediatric cancers and heart operations. And yet you see when we integrate a little bit of that graceful playfulness into a stressful experience, what might be able to shift? If maybe we have a different perspective upon the things that stress us out and we can bring some creative aspect to them. I'm reminded when I read the story of G.K. Chesterton's wonderful quote, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. It's true. There is a lightness and playfulness that I know my too easily, heavily heartened heart needs. I can confuse serious work with somber work. And there is a lightness in this that I think deserves the word grace. I had a friend a number of years in ministry, and he was much more into like a specific theology of God than I was I don't need much, to be honest with you. But we were both like big grace guys. This belief that something, that extra thing that kind of shifts our experience of our lives toward openness and vulnerability and connection. But he had a particular understanding of grace that didn't work for me at all. And we used to argue about it. He had this understanding of grace. Grace was like the biggest, toughest bouncer at a bar, fully tattooed, full of muscles, who's going to grab us by the scruff of the neck and deliver us to love whether we want it or not. <laughs> now, that 
expressed his life's experience. Everyone has a right to their own theology. But I got to tell you, that doesn't work for me and it doesn't work for many people that I know because the truth is I think so many of us are already plenty hard on ourselves and we don't need more forcefulness in order to get us to a place of recognizing the fact, which is already true, that we are beloved. I think within that lightness of the angels who can fly, there is a deeper grace and a deeper invitation to play. And so I want to end with a story that I may have told a number of you a bunch of years ago. But it is about this notorious juice. <laughs> this story starts my first year in college about a couple students who were in college at the same school a number of years before me. And it begins in a not terribly auspicious fashion. It begins with something that I used to be very familiar with. It begins with a hangover. And it begins the first week of school when two friends, they weren't friends yet, they were just roommates, and they had gone out the night before and they had drank too much. And one was extremely hungover and one was only marginally hungover. And the one who was extremely hungover said to the one who was leaving the room to go to breakfast with other people on the hall, would you get me a Gatorade, please? And the one who left, I can get him a Gatorade. I will, however, come back with a bottle of prune juice for him. And they spent the next four years finding ever more creative ways to who could own the other and give back that prune juice. Once it was literally during finals week, one of the two friends got up on top of the library and knew their friend would be coming from the dining hall to go study for the evening and on a fishing line, dropped the prune juice down into the line of sight and the friend had to take it back. The story was told to me that on the day they both graduated, that one had arranged the president of the college when he was handing diploma to the friend <laughs> here's the thing I've actually in the years since seen many variations on this story I have no idea whether it's true or not whether it really happened but it is true these ways of being are true some of you might recognize these guys. They made a movie about them a number of years ago. The movie was actually really disappointing. I was really looking forward to it. It's called Tag. This is a group of friends who have known each other since elementary school, and they have been playing a game of tag for 30 years. They actually stopped playing it in their 20s until they, until they recognized that they had grown distant from each other, and they wanted to get reconnected. And so they resumed their childhood game of tag and eventually it became a movie. The story is so much better than the movie, however. Every year they stay in each other's lives. Tag, you're it. And then that guy is it until open season with tag again. And they have an opportunity to resume their friendship. This is what one writer called the difference between finite and infinite games. Finite games are all about winning and losing. Finite games are all about not wanting to be the loser, 
and about becoming the winner. But infinite games are the opposite. They just go on and on and on and on. And they can partake of things like dead fish and bottles of prune juice or a game of tag. This is what happens when we can invite ourselves to remember to play. To simply adventure for the sake of adventure. To simply create for the sake of creating. To play in order to play. And for no other reason than that. Carl Jung said, the great psychiatrist did, that if ours is a religion based on escape, based on getting out of this life to somewhere else, it will be a religion based on fear. But if ours is a religion based on wonder, then it will be one of playfulness and gratefulness. And we will know that we are a part of this life. So, you know what my invitation is to you all today. Go out and play. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? With each breath, may we can allow ourselves to remember that before we were the pottery, before we were the form, we were and we still are a play of all of these different elements coming together to make ourselves ourselves. May we recognize that as serious as the work of this life is, what may animate it all is a lightness, a sense of love that can never leave us, even if we've forgotten it. If we would remember again that we are not finished products, that we are never done growing, and that life goes on and on and on. May we recognize that today, in this moment. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.